Welcome to the Dream Big, My Friend podcast, where you will find all the inspiration you need to begin living a more intentional life today. Because no matter where you are right now in life, it's never too late to dream big, my friend. And now here's your host, Francis Vitakovic. Hello and welcome to the Dreaming My Friend podcast. This is your host, Francis Vitakovic. And for today's episode, we are up to 190. Can you believe it? I am so excited to share with you my very first special guest interview. I feel like this calls for a drum roll, which would be in total alignment with the fact that today I am speaking with Steve Lips Kudlow, the guitarist and lead vocalist of the metal band Anvil. So Anvil is a band that Steve co-founded back in 1978 with his high school friend and drummer Rob Reiner. So for me, I feel like they really don't need an introduction because their story has played such a pivotal role in my life. But for those who are unfamiliar with Anvil, I definitely encourage you to rush out and watch their documentary. It's called Anvil, the story of Anvil. Do it immediately because it's going to change your life. So just to share with you the quick blurb for this film, it goes as follows. At 14, school friends Steve Lips Kudlow and Rob Reiner made a pact to rock together forever. Their band Anvil went on to become the demigods of Canadian metal, releasing one of the heaviest albums in metal history back in 1982. It was called Metal on Metal. The album influenced a musical generation, including Metallica, Slayer and Anthrax, all of whom went on to sell millions of records. But Anvil's career took a different path, straight to obscurity. This is an inspirational and timeless tale of survival and the passion of two best friends who simply refuse to ever give up on their dream. Now, I have personally referenced this award-winning film from 2008. I've done it so often over the years. I talk about it all the time to my friends and family, clients and audience, because I believe it is the perfect epitome of perseverance and determination of having a dream and just refusing to ever let it go. No matter how many years pass, no matter how many challenges you face along the way. Now, I believe that we're under this impression that success in our careers should be instant, like we think it should be really easy, when in fact the opposite could be the case, and it often is the case. So I myself remember watching this documentary when it first came out, and I just like got total goosebumps because I knew myself what it was like to have a dream and to genuinely just want it so bad. So for me, it was writing. It was what I felt like I was put on this earth to do, and I was unable to let go of that dream because it was like living inside me and it refused to die. Because when you have a desire or a passion inside of your heart, like when you have a goal that you were chasing, it may not necessarily happen on the timeline you're expecting or hoping that it will happen, but that doesn't mean that you should ever give up. And that's something that I learned firsthand from watching this documentary. I feel like Anvil, a living proof that believing in yourself and your dreams eventually pays off because that is what they did. They kept on dreaming big. They believed in themselves. They never stopped creating amazing music continuously over the years. They've now got 18 studio albums under their belt. And in the end, they finally achieved that success and recognition that they always deserved, even though it came to them when they were in their 50s at the time. So I have to say, it is a complete honor and privilege for me to have Steve Lips Kudlow from Anvil on this podcast today. This is a must listen to episode for anyone who thinks that they're too old or they feel tempted to give up or they're feeling frustrated that the results they're after in life aren't coming quick enough. So whether you are a musician or an artist or a writer or anyone with a beating heart and a pulse and a dream, the story of Anvil is one that you absolutely need to hear today. 
So let's dive on in. Thank you so much, Steve, for taking the time to have a chat with me today. So I think that the best place is definitely to start right at the beginning. So when did you first realize that you love music, that you just wanted to be a musician and that you wanted to follow this particular dream? Uh, it's probably when my dad brought a guitar home when I was 10 years old. <laughs> I mean, I was aware of music and I liked I liked music as a, as a small kid. Um, I kind of became aware of, actually, believe it or not, Elvis Presley. <laughs> and uh, I think the first song that I that I can actually recall having a, an attraction to was All Shook Up. Oh, I love that song. I think I might have been four years old, maybe. So we're talking, you know, 1959, 1958, wow. something like that. And my life kind of has run parallel with the use of guitar so <laughs> by the time i was 10 my dad brought brought home a guitar and i had an older uh, an older brother who uh quickly <laughs> hooked it up to the stereo and we <laughs> it began my uh my journey uh, and i, I think i mean immediately i knew what i wanted as soon as i got the guitar and i remember standing in my living room and having the guitar on a strap, and I go, this is it. I know what I'm doing. And my little brother looks at me and goes, you've you got to be crazy. You can't do that. Sure you can. Anyone can do it. I, I'm going to do it. <laughs> love it. I love it. So to me, the story of Anvil is just this inspiring, I love the behind-the-scenes look into what it takes to actually chase your dreams and never give up. So can you just share with me how the documentary was made and the feelings that actually came up for you when you knew that that story was going to be shared with the world? Because, you know, like you had that dream for so long to know it was going to actually make it to worldwide attention. Well, no, I mean, people have to understand, okay, you watch, you watch the Animal movie. Hey, that wasn't our first album that we just got to do. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Our 13th album. Yeah. There was, 13, there was 12, 12 releases before that movie. So it's a, an, an incredible history of probably close to 25 to 30 years e easily. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not like it it it, it happened overnight or or anything like that. The the real truth about 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 life in general is you get back what you've put in. If you actually, if actually you've been good to people, you will probably be successful <laughs> because there's something about being empath empathetic. There's something about being, uh, uh, you know, outgoing. There's something, you know, more open-minded and stuff. And what I, where, where I'm getting going with this is is giving an explanation of to how how the movie came to came to pass. Through our history, of course, we got lucky. Initially, we got lucky, and and we were extraordinarily out of the box. Not not like in anything else from where we certainly from where we came from. Uh, here in Canada, it was it was always uh, the the music the, for rock music. It's all about prog, man. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to be really sophisticated. Right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And we were not. <laughs> and, and the 
other musicians in the day and the date and time made fun of it. You know, you guys are Neanderthal music. You know, it's like you know they're they're, they're you know they're not giving any credit to rock music whatsoever. I mean that that goes that goes back to I mean it goes back to my earliest earliest times when I, I you know people always want to tell you that you can't right for for whatever reason maybe because they they have no no self self-esteem or self self appreciation in any case uh that that gets projected from the from day one and it, it got projected from my parents you don't want to do that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so i mean it, it, there's been always an angst and always always going upstream and it, it is an upstream battle the entire the entire existence of being a musician is that and a constant level of proving yourself you're only as good as your last what what you wrote last. You you're only as good as your last tour. You're everything is only as good as it was yesterday. Nothing nothing tomorrow could ever be any good. Prove it to me. And it's always like that. It never ever ends. Not not for a split second. And not even internally because even internally you you are how I gotta outdo myself. You always got that. Speaking right to begin with, you know the the other the other kids in the, on the other on the street who learned how to play. They're learning how to play from everybody else's music. Me, I picked up the guitar. I started fooling around. I'm looking for things. I'm figuring out how to play, and in figuring out how to play, I'm creating my own thing. So it's 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 actually it's really interesting. By the time by the time I met Rob when I was, uh, I guess I was uh, sixteen or seventeen, I was well into a, I was already writing songs. So it's like I, I go to a jam session and I just start playing uh, stuff that no one's ever heard, and the guitar player that was there is going. What the fuck is he doing? And Rob's pounding away, going, "Wow, this is awesome! What, what is that?" And I go, "And I made it up, man. I'm making it up." It's going, "Fuck, this is great, man!" So, I mean, there, there was an instant, an instant, uh, an instant gratification that for Rob as well for, as for me, I found someone else immediately when I was a teenager that that could write. That could understand what I'm doing and not go. How come you're not playing uh, yeah. uh, Johnny Be Good in Johnny Winter style? Like, you know what I mean? It's like he didn't ask questions like that. He just go. That's a that's a great riff, man. Let's do it, right? That's 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 the right guy. The, the combination I got. I got that. That's what what a lot of it is in music and and in making bands. It's all about luck. The luck of John and Paul McCartney, John Lennon and Paul McCartney becoming friends. You know, it's 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 a matter of being at the right place at the right time, uh, <laughs> with the right people, all, all those things that and, 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 and in in eventuality bring you to a, a successful end. So in eventuality, of course, Rob and I built the band and we, we did whatever we did all the all the way up until. You know, we were we were going to go to record our thirteenth album, and what actually had happened was somewhere along the line, somewhere around in nineteen eighty two, as a matter of fact, we ended up playing in, in in London, England, at at the Marquee Club, which is of course the very very well now renowned yeah. one of the most famous clubs of all time. You know, it's everybody's played there, and it, it was uh, of course. 
an extraordinary moment in my, in my career. And um, it, it was very, very, very new because I'd never, of course, we'd, it, we'd never been overseas. So here we'd been a band for about, I don't know, five, five years maybe. And we finally, now we're in England and we've got our first and second album out. And we're freaking out. We can't believe that we're in England. Dream. All of a sudden there's a, there's a knock at the door of our change room and this 15 year old kid, like we were there doing sound check, the 15 year old kid comes in and he starts talking about all the songs on our records. And it's, it's like, wow, we're not only we're, are we in England, but this, there's people here that know who we are. I love it. I love <laughs> so, it. So, I mean, there's a, I, I don't know that people can really understand where I'm coming from when I say that. They, they go, well, that's obvious. You're making records. Well, if it's your first and second record, you really don't know who's bought it and where. You, you, you don't really know. and You haven't really traveled, so you're not really thinking about you're in a foreign land you're are you thinking everybody knows who i am no, no one seems to recognize me on the street so i guess i guess we'll be lucky if anybody shows up you know it's like, like that kind of thing but uh it, it was it was extraordinarily uh shocking to us so this this 15 year old kid was it was remarkable that what the, the things that he was discussing with us and and the, the kind of person this kid was it was just Wow. Okay. You know, uh, so of course we made sure that he was able to get into the show because he was underage, but, and of course we became what, what it ended up is he, he starts telling us, well, you know, I, my mother actually comes from Canada where you guys come from and I'll come visit you. And I'm going, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, we'll see you later, man. We nicknamed him Teabag. We're having a big laugh. You know, it's just like, yeah, we'll see you later, Teabag. And the reason we called him Teabag, he's English, right? And English people with their tea, their tea drinking, it's just endless. Um, so, so next thing I know, there's a knock at my, at my door, like a year or two later. And here he is. He's like, Holy shit. Okay. So he's on a level. He's told the truth, <laughs> you know? So he, he was a drummer and, you know, we said, listen, you know, we're going, we're going to go do the Northeast of the Northeast coast of, of the States. And we're going to do some stuff in Quebec. Why don't you come with us and be our drum roadie? Oh, so we took him with, right? So we take this kid with, and of course he's <laughs> 15, 16 years old and he's witnessing things that, you really, you really shouldn't be. And we were very diligent and careful to exactly what he did see, actually, to be really honest. And at one point in the tour, his father showed up to check in on him. You know, it's kind of weird. It's just that, but it, we're talking about a person that, that it was extraordinary. This is not like, your typical innocent 15 year old okay kid it's it's somebody who's extraordinary intelligent and and really magnetic a magnetic style in which you you having you're going to have a good time this kid became he became like a, a pet 
for for the forest and just a lot of fun joking just a lot of joking around but it, but it was at the same time there was a, a sense of responsibility that we did have and we weren't we weren't the worst influence you know we tried to, we tried our best and of course as time went on he we, he he had of course his own life to go chase and mm. we went on and we dropped out of touch with each other for whew, 25 30 years something like that a long time right and somewhere in, in around 2005 i'm playing a festival in italy and as it turns out these two members of the band candlemas show up and knock at our, our little yeah. camper bus door and go hey man we're the guys from candlemas we met you in in the 80s and what 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 are you what's what are these guys what and they're going yeah do you remember do you remember meeting two swedish guys on the street on carnaby street and i'm going yeah <laughs> which is Kind of weird, but like I was saying at the onset of the conversation, Sasha, the the kid that was 15, had taken us out to go all over London to see the sights and go see where where you can buy, you know, studded belts and wristbands and metal paraphernalia, right? And that's Carnaby Street. And as it turns out, the two members were also 15 or 16 years old. And they're following us all over London, unbeknown to us. They're just kids. They're they're fans, but 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 we're not really tuned into what's you know, I mean, you're not gonna be tuned into the fact, hey, these guys are gonna become famous musicians and they're following me around. I'm not thinking in those terms at all. But they introduced themselves as these two two guys from Sweden. And of course, you came from Sweden to see Anvil and they well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, wow, fuck, this is cr- this is crazy, man. Like, look, people are coming from different parts of the world to come see us here. Like, what? Like, it, it's all like completely new and fresh to us. So here they were in, in 2005 talking about meeting us on Carnaby Street, and of course, ding, ding, ding. I start thinking about about Sasha and I start telling them yeah that's when we met this guy and I start telling them all about that and this and and everything all that quite a remarkable uh, festival that we had had gone to at at that particular moment a lot of people that were part of our lives were there and and we reconnected and all kinds of weird stuff including Ronnie Dio right like I I hadn't seen Dio probably since 83 at that point when I opened up for him and I'm standing in the lobby of the of the hotel of from from the festival and Dio sees me and he comes right up to me to say hello I'm like what I mean there's a lot of weird shit that went on at this particular festival and of course Ivan meets the crazy uh road manager lady who was there with the band Riot now it's <laughs> just crazy stuff anyway everything all the mixtures of everything were actually present Saxon was there uh of course Dio was there there, there were uh the band Exciter was there Riot was there Candlemas I mean a lot of 80s stuff people were there and we're it was like a get together <laughs> in, in any case you know i get home from the festival i sign into my computer and there's an email from sasha so like i'm going what now i'm really now i'm like going this is 
this is crazy. I, I, what is going on? Like, why all of this at once? I don't know. I'm just explaining this to you. Yeah, I'm just saying, no, I, why? I'm still asking, why? I don't know. It's just the way the rivers of, of time flow. And so, of course, we reconnect by telephone. And he starts going, come down and visit me. And I'm going, yeah, right. Like, I've got, like, I got, you know, take 500 bucks. I'll just go. Hop on a plane. Yeah, right. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm working as a delivery man. I'm not a millionaire. Christ, man. Come on. Like, he goes, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay for it. I'm like, what? Yeah, right. You're going to pay for it. Yeah, right, teabag. It's like, I, I still, I couldn't, I couldn't really. But he was saying, don't worry key. about it. it. Give me your address and I'm going to send tickets. They'll be there. And I'm going, okay, well, what the hell? What Next day, there's the tickets. And I'm going, I guess I'm going to Los Angeles. Ah, cool. I'm going, okay, well, uh, he's got money. What what has he been up to? Like, I'm just no clue. Like, where am I going? What's going on? Okay, so I get down to Los Angeles and I'm standing at the the airport waiting for, for him to come pick me up. And I take a look. And there he is, the, the, the kid that, you, that used to be 15 years old is now a 35-year-old, right? And I'm looking at it, I go, this is really, you know, like his body grew into the length of his arms. <laughs> I, I don't know how, you know, the look of a teenager. And then when, they, when you become an adult, you fill out, like you become a, a man, right? And here he was, uh, grown up, <laughs> just remarkable. And I, okay, so I'm getting to this little fucking sports car that he had bought. It was Sean Connery's car, a, a little Jaguar or something, right? And it's like, holy shit, man, this is unreal. So we're driving back and he's got, got you know, stuff, Michael Schenker group and pounding in the in the music on the in the car. And we're going, talking, we're carrying on just like it was 1983, yeah. It's just like weird. It's just, I'm in a time zone. I don't know what happened. It's like, I'm just carrying on as though we never lost a day since I last saw him. It's just a very uh, interesting. Well, it's just, so that's just partially the way I am. I don't think of time as being something that separates people. It's only time that, that, and it's only relative if you make it so. So if you don't really count the days or think about it in that way, then it was yesterday for all intents and purposes, right? So that's kind of the way that I treat things. And I think that, that it was kind of remarkable to, to Sasha to actually experience this and how Anvil initially changed his life for better and worse for many different reasons. But it was a, a, a very, very impressionable point in his life. And the reason that I'm explaining to this, I'll tell you why in a second. So we spend much of the week, you know, the weekend just reconnecting on on all different levels. And some of it was being introduced and being taken all over Los Angeles, because I really, I'm not from there. It's really quite a new place to me, because I'd only really played there once or twice in my entire career. So it's like, I don't know much about being here, but I'm here. <laughs> so as we're, but as we're driving and, and stuff, he's telling me what, what are you doing? Like, what do you do <laughs> that you're driving around in a little Jaguar that was once, once owned by Sean Connery? He goes, I'm a screenwriter, I'm a screenwriter. And then I start thinking, wait a second, because I had just seen the terminal, right? Maybe. And 
And I'm thinking, wait a second. And he goes, I wrote the movie, The Terminal. And I went, no way. I I saw your name. You know what I mean? And you're going, can't be the same guy. It's a Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah right. Like, Sasha, the, the screenwriter. like I'm going to realize that sitting there in the movie uh-huh. two weeks before, before I went to Italy, not likely. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It just didn't, I didn't really connect it. And when he said it, it was just like, holy shit wow okay that explains everything to me where this guy is in his life and then of course i became i came to understand that basically from the reconnection and through the time i he had realized that the impact that anvil had had on his on his life and part of it happened during that weekend in the sense of me telling them everything that we'd been through business-wise and where we were and what we were going to be doing. He was absolutely astounded and amazed by all of it that, wow, I'm reconnecting and this guy's got, I show up and I'm with a a pile of CDs that I've recorded that he didn't know that, like both of us have had basically a a huge lifetime of work between the last time we saw each other and we're fundamentally filling each other in on it and having great admiration for each other, which is, is wonderful. It's not, not like, Oh, I'm jealous, man. You made it. I didn't, I didn't. It's not, that's not what I was so happy to see that this guy had had grown up to be, be so uh, important and, and, and make a, a really, I mean, I don't know how you explain it. It's like having a little brother and being disconnected and then finding out that he did all right. You know, it was yeah. like that. See, so it takes me, it takes taking me all over the place. And we show up to this guy's place living uh, in really, really ritzy beach area there, the Malibu Beach. Yeah. You know, you're going to the guy's, but you're going through the front yard and he's got a lemon tree and you're like, oh, holy shit, man, check this place out. You know, it's it's, it's another world that you're not, when am I ever going to see shit like this? You see it in movies, you don't see it in real life. But in any case, you start realizing, oh, it is real life and you kind of just accept it for what it is. And so I'm, I'm sitting out on the beach and this guy's wife is washing the dog because it had been in the ocean and she wants to make sure that that all the salt is out of the hair and so so forth. And, and Sasha and this guy, Steve, had gone into the house to make coffee and stuff for us to, to, to have. So they're in the house and he's going, his buddy Steve is going to him, what did you bring to my house, man? And that's lips from the band Anvil. Have you ever heard of Anvil? And the guy goes, no. And he goes, well, that starts telling him all about the band. And the guy just goes, dude, wait to fuck up. There's your next movie. That's your I next want- movie. Yeah. And, and like Sasha, of course, he did. He he. he, he didn't really he his whole thing i gotta make a movie about hervé villagers that's when i first met sasha that's all he was talking about was hervé <laughs> which actually didn't come to come together until a couple of years ago but whole, that's a whole other story and i mean another story also a, a personal touch in in the sense that sasha creates stories from things that he's actually experienced or people that he knows and that includes the terminal as well. That's somebody that he knew that he met. This was somebody's story that he's relayed to the world. I mean, that's the kind of <laughs> that's the kind of work he does. It's phenomenal. So there we were. This that was sort of the genesis moment for Sasha. Now, of course, I, I don't 
have any clue any of this is going on. I'm completely oblivious. So I'm just being myself and whatever. I'm kind of not aware that this is going on with now this guy, Steve Zaley, and is, and is, a, is an extraordinary executive himself in the sense that he's uh, done a, a number of movies that like Schindler's List and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it, we're talking about the top, top shelf people that are Sasha is connected to and who, who he is. It's like, holy fuck man how do you how you can't fathom it but it's, it's that's the way life is life people get to different places at different times for different reasons and it just it's the luck and the chance at the at the end of the day when that door when someone was knocking at that back door of the of the change room of the marquee two in the afternoon had we not opened that door life would not i would not be having this conversation with you today <laughs> it's actually quite phenomenal now having said that i really believe things happen all for reasons there are a lot of unfortunate of failures, but not to, I mean, in the, in the long journey that kept the, the carrot always at, at, at out of reach. You know, you're not going to get the success that you really wanted or that you really deserve, but it, it was almost like it needed to be the, that way in order for, for everything else to fall into place. So what kept you going during those more difficult periods? Like what's that never give up? Attitude? It's not a question. Of, it, it, it's, it's the same thing as it, the 10 year old, what you do, it's what you are. You don't, I can understand people go, how do you want to do that? I like doing it. Like, is that hard to understand that you can actually love what you do? I guess most people don't. Oh, I get it. It's easy to do what you love. And when you do what you love, that's what you, you generally, you're going to do the best job that is humanly possible. You are going to be able to have the perseverance of iron. A hundred percent. You're going to have, it's why I'm here. It's why I'm here. It's really simple. When you have a, a realization of those kind of, or self-awareness of, since you're 10, <laughs> there was never really a question. And, you know, when I talked to some of my, my, my oldest, one of my oldest friends, as a matter of fact, I've known since I was three, who also plays, but made the decision and knew, Cudlow, you're going to fucking go all the way, but I ain't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, some people, they actually knew they knew when we were kids, like my friend knew that when we were kids that I were go- I was going to do this, but he made the decision way early that he was not, be- and, and he never has. Wow. And the other aspects of the music business, still plays his guitar. He did everything that his parents said he should do. His parents told him, don't, don't be a musician, work for musicians. So what did the guy do? He learned how to fix amps. <laughs> so he's got, he's got a job forever working in, with musical stuff and involved in musical stuff but instead of it costing them money's making it well in so, the movie yeah you said there's a cost that we get that we pay for chasing our dreams so what do you think that cost is i, I mean i know the answer is going to be that the price is worth paying but what well, do the, co- the, co- the, the cost the cost is enormous you've got to be willing to not make money <laughs> what could cost more than that <laughs> Nothing is more costly than than passing on opportunities. And what I mean by that, my younger brother has multiple properties that 
he's asked me dozens of times to become a property manager. Give me, give me a job, like basically here, take money, get out of the music business. You'll never have to, never have to worry about money for the rest of your life. I go, no, <laughs> you know, if anybody thinks or says, no, I'd rather, I'd rather f- deal with some guy who's going to pay me with, with, in goulash. You know what I mean? It's like to, to the outside world and to many people, they think I'm out of my mind. And that's okay because uh, I don't. I'm not. I because I've always had the the, the self belief that the luck didn't line up. So all I needed to do was keep doing what I'm doing until the luck comes through. Then I'll take those opportunities and I'll be fine. And my my predictions when we the first time round when we when we first became famous and we started playing and going all over the world and like with the first three albums the kind of record deal that it was was totally totally utter utter piracy it just like I signed with Black Bart Records you know what I mean it's like look out man these guys are I've never been paid a nickel not a fucking dime man and the way that the way that the royalties work is that the kind a deal that it was everything is all the red line all my any money coming to the band can has to go directly to paying off the red line but here's the thing the red line the way that they do that if they sell an album for 20 bucks they give the distributor two they give give themselves you know 15 or and they give the band one dollar wow so one dollar out of every sale, okay? That's if the sales are twenty dollars. If let's say somebody downloads something from the first three albums uh, and it costs a dollar for that song, ten cents of it goes to goes or the nine cents of it goes to the record company. The other penny that was supposed to come to me also goes to the record company because it's cross collateralized. So I don't make a nickel. Wow. That's the kind of deal that that was. And so, and that pays 10 to one. Fundamentally speaking, it pays 10 to one. They get 10 times what we do and what we get pays off the debt. So you've got to basically, you've got to sell. Oh, you start thinking about it. You're, you're looking at a lot. Half a mil, half a million or a million records, right? To pay off the red line that was created by from recording three albums in the early 80s, which was extraordinarily expensive. And the way that they do the accounting is, of course, they've got they've got a number of, of names and brands on their label. So Anvil's paid off $10 of their, their, their stuff this year. And that's what they write down. <laughs> and, and but meanwhile, who knows? You're not you're not going to get the real numbers because who's going to audit it? Not me. I, what am I going to get out of auditing it? Contract. The contract says I don't get anything that that they say I don't get. So what am I auditing? <laughs> it's I got fucked. The other thing, other things that were involved, you know, things that are not necessarily your fault. When we looked for a deal, there wasn't other deals. We were a metal band in a time that there was no such thing as metal. So labels were looking at it like, who's going to fucking sign that, right? (laughs) A label, but the the kind of people that they were, the kind of deals that that were being turned. And I would say more, it was more akin to the the time and the era of 
what the kind of contract it was than it is because believe me, I'm not the only one who suffers, suffered and still suffers from those things. I'm sure that if you talk to Judas Priest about their rock and roll album, or maybe even or maybe even Sad Wings of Destiny, they, which was also put out by Attic Records in Canada, that you got to wonder. How much of Judas Priest money do these guys have that also put out An- Anvil's records? You know what I mean? They, yeah. they, they obviously didn't take care of me, so they're going to take care of Priest? Probably not. <laughs> just the way it's just the way it's just the nature of the business, and it's not a business; it's a racket, and it always has been, and always will be, because basically, fundamentally, it's it's a very selfish business. Uh, the bands, the managers, the everything is everybody's out only for themselves. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it out of don't don't misunderstand. I'm not. Oh, saying no, no, of, I get it. Yeah, it's not out of bitterness. It's it's out of it's out of observation. <laughs> yeah, there are, are of course there's exceptions to the rule. Of course, but anybody that's going to be on your side, if you're in a band, they're looking to get something from you. Everybody has a, a an ulterior, ulterior motive. Everybody needs to make money, and you can't begrudge that. That's the way it works. So it's a racket. You work with it. You, you work with it. That's what you do. And what would you do? What would you say to someone who did have this dream? They wanted to start out in the same. Like wanted to be a musician. Or what advice would you give to your like eighteen year old self? Well, like, ultimately, you ultimately, that you got to find yourself. Okay. You got to find you. That's the thing. You got to find you because your identity. Because that's everything. the uh, The identity and what it's not. It's your name, but more importantly, it's your music and your style. Definitely. What what people come to know as your music and putting your face to it. That's that's everything. Your your live show, how you present yourself, the person, the identity, whether it's visual, the way you talk. It's a combination of all those things, but. The bottom line is identity. That's the most important thing. So going, like if you were to, because now that we're old, I mean, I'm older as well now, but if you were to like go back and reflect on your whole life, is there anything, I know regret such a loaded word, but is there anything that you wish that you'd done differently going back in time? I mean, I know that we can't. Yeah, I don't, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's regret. You can't rethink it or redo things. And there there always are reasons Yes. For any decisions that you make, you can't blame yourself later and and wish something else because it it's pointless. It's already done. <laughs> so how do you how how do you really how do you really explain away regret? There are things that I wish that I could have done that I didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> like for one example would have been like do an album with Motorhead. I was asked, but I couldn't do it, and so. I'll never know. <laughs> and know. that's and that's not really a regret. It's I couldn't do it. Yeah. I was under contractual obligations. I was also the lead singer and lead vocalist of Anvil. I'm not leaving my own band and abandoning it before my third album when we've got all this going on and I've written all of it and I'm going into record and then I get asked to join Motorhead. No, I don't think so. That's just you know, can't do it. So I guess when it comes to anyone that's listened to this episode and has a dream, what advice would you give to them if their success isn't instant, if it's taking them longer to achieve their goals, whether it's in music or in any, like we can apply this to any goal really. Well, if you really clearly believe in what you're doing, 
you've got to follow it through because because quitting is losing. So true. You're never going to get anything from quitting. You're not. That's you may not get anything from this is the thing that you have to understand about particularly for music. It's not so much about and it isn't really about the accolades and the, and and the money that you actually receive. It's actually about create creativity and being able to come up with with something and from the start to the finish and that it 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 gets released and gets known about. That's for a musician. That's that's mm-hmm. actually ultimately everything. And you're willing to do everything and anything to make that happen. And yeah. that that's yeah. really the heart and core of being a songwriter and a musician is is to do that. At least it is for me. And it's 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 not how many or how much money I got for doing it was getting getting the piece of music from this little my little yellow nice. room here and, you, yeah. and and coming up with that special riff and then it's completely finished and on a record that to me is that's what the success is that's that's ultimately so what success is is that, that it becomes a finished piece of work and and ultimately what my other belief is is it's not the guy who makes the most money from his recordings it's actually the guy who's done the most recordings it's the guy that's who's crazy. written the most songs that wins the game I because love that's that, that's that's creativity how creative how what did you bring to the world it's the amount that you give and bring to the world is is what the success is and who the winner is the guy who does three albums and sits on his ass for the rest of his life so what i agree you're leaving a legacy behind in the world like you're leaving that legacy of music for everyone to appreciate yeah it's it's uh, it represents a life journey that's <laughs> I agree. That that's what it is. It's it's a life journey, and it certainly is. It certainly is for me when I listen to it. Because when I listen to my first, my earlier albums, I'm I'm there. Everybody knows that when you listen to music, your time and place are. It's the only. It's one of the few things in in our world that actually puts time and place into into perspective in in your life, so that you can actually actually look back in your life and have the feeling of time that time has actually actually gone by, and it puts timing. Like I can I, when I listen to certain Beatles songs. I know what grade, I don't even have to know when it came out. I know what grade I was in, what I was doing, what was going on at the time, you know, like completely, that's what music does. So you can imagine, multiply that by 10. And that's what it's like for a musician to create that music. So imagine what it is like for Paul McCartney to listen to Hey Jude or Yesterday. It must be so powerful. Like it's so powerful for the listeners, but imagine what it's like for the for for the musician as well. Is it, it's remarkable because you, when you do write these pieces of music, you only do it once. Mm-hmm. I've only written one March of the Crabs. I've only written one Metal on Metal. No matter what I do, I can't do it again because it's doing it again. You got to do it something else. And when you do something else, it's only once as well. So <laughs> it's just an endless stream of one-time moments recorded for prosperity. Ultimately, and you can't stop what... doing it, can you? You just keep on writing and creating music for as long as you're here. And, and yeah, as long as long as you and and you know, there's no such thing as oh, I got writer's block. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what that means. I'm backlog hundreds, hundreds of riffs here on my computer of 
that haven't been turned into songs yet. <laughs> I mean, it, it just doesn't end, and it's not going to unless I want it to. So here, here we are. I've finished recording my 19th album in, in September of last year, and it's not going to be out till, oh, I don't know, some sometime May or June of, ne- of, of this year, right? So it's months away. But I've already got half half the next one written. So I guess we could probably end the interview by with asking you that question, like where can the listeners connect with you? And obviously what's next for Amble? You've shared that a new album's coming out next year, which is so fantastic. Yeah, we still, but we haven't, you know, there, there is nothing, we haven't announced anything yet. And I still can't because I don't, I haven't, I don't know precise dates. That's fine. I know that it's springtime springtime 2022 that it's coming out that's pretty that's about as close as i can get to saying it we haven't announced the title you know it's once again an alliteration title so it it will have that it's another anvil album but i think what what makes this one particularly a little bit more special and more like the original albums, there was a lot of time and effort put into the into in the writing process it it was a lot more uh there's a lot more time to do that. So the actual recording <laughs> was was really, really fast because I knew exactly there was no question about what I was going to do when I got there because I'd already gone through. It's interesting because uh, the computer age, you know, I, I record I record the band at rehearsal with a, 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 a tiny little Zoom style <laughs> A recorder, which has the two little microphones that kind of face each other. The, yeah. I think everybody's seen those things. And they're a digital recorder. I record it like that. I upload it into my little computer at the at the at the rehearsal place, and then send it. Put put it into my email. I get home, take the file out of my email, and load it into a multi-track application on my computer. And now I'm overdubbing my vocals with my with my <laughs> webcam. <laughs> oh, that is so cool! Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So I I do all the writing. I, I get all the writing done. I get, it's amazing because you you can the recording aspect on half of your screen, and you've got your lyrics that you're that you're typing on on your word processor right there. As you're creating, it's it's bizarre, like stuff I never did before. It used to be a piece of paper and a microphone. Now it's I'm sitting at the computer doing it. It's like, wow, what a new way of doing it. And quite enjoyable, really, and relaxed. So it's not like doing it at rehearsal like it used to be. I can really, I can zero in and li- listen to what all the, each track is doing. It's because it's completely multi. You can do 50 tracks at home if you want. Unbelievable. So, you know, I'm setting up, setting up on how, how all the harmonies are going to work. Pre, pre-producing, the, pre-produce the whole new record that we just did in, in the sense that I'm, I'm doing it all before I have to go in and actually do it. So th- it was just a matter of actually doing that you know i went there and got we have the producers and of course they just make sure that everything that i want to do is being done properly and placed on in the real in the real recording and then of course they're really really good at mixing and doing the stuff to make it all sound good and using the right microphones and all the stuff that you really got to have in a, in a real situation you know when you're making demos at home it's demos at home and you're not making a recording yeah. for the rest of the world you're learning your parts is what what i'm saying and the only beautiful part and i actually tweeted that the only actual 
good news about the, about the pandemic is that it's given me time to write songs. And I'm, I'm, I've been enjoying that because that's all there is to enjoy at the moment. So oh. almost finished the next one. Almost finished oh. number 20. So that's We can't good. wait. Well, I've just been so inspired by your story. And honestly, I'm so grateful that you took the time to have a conversation with me. And I know, I mean, I'm going to encourage everyone to go and watch that documentary just to see what it's like to follow a dream. And like you said, the real passion and the feeling of success comes from actually doing the work, creating. Yeah, it's the journey. It's not, it's, not, it's not the rewards. It's the journey itself. hundred percent. And having something to wake up in the morning to do. I'm, you know, I'm retired from from manual labor. You know, what, what was the outcome of what happened? Well, what was the outcome of what happened? I'm basically fulfilled my dreams. I'm a full-time musician. That's what I do. I don't have to deliver... I don't have to deliver food anymore. Perfect. I'm so glad. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with me. And I just appreciate your time so much. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out. And if you really loved it, you can show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. For more inspiration, head over to dreambigmyfriend.com, where you will find even more content for all the dreamers out there. Until next time, dream big, my friend.